talk about uh, don't lose your gains. Um, don't lose your gains. Revelation, one of the seven churches, I'm just to give you the premise of where we're going to launch from, actually out of the Old Testament, Numbers, Numbers chapter number 27, verses 12 through, 12 through 14. But there is a church there in the book of Revelation, and it is the church at Ephesus. It's Revelation 2, 2 through 4, this is where we're going to wind up. So I'm going to take you from the beginning, but I'm going to show you ahead of time where we're going to wind up, and it's the last of verse 4. You know, uh, you have forsaken your first love. Say that with me. You have forsaken your first love. You have forsaken your first love. If you pause for a moment, uh, that's a pretty good, think rationally with me, that's a pretty good task, not to forsake your first love your first passion, your first period of excitement, your first goo-goo eye, your first you felt something running down your spine, your first heart is going to explode. When I look into your eyes and look into the depths of your spirit, I see the beauty of an angel. Hello. And if you don't maintain that first love, you don't even look at the eyes anymore. Someone against you, the forget your first love. Is it possible? Is it possible? And can we justifiably say, every one of us, I still have my vibrant, passionate first love for Jesus Christ since the day that I gave my heart to Christ. The thrill is still real. Everybody with me? Now we have this thing. We have this thing from we have this thing from the beginning. Come into my heart. How many of you remember where you got saved? May I see your hand? How many remember that experience? Where you got saved? That's good. How many of you got saved several times? It's like, you know, okay, we understand that. You know, but sooner or later it locked in. You see, I, I remember that. From that time until right now, there is something that we call life. And life gets in the way of you maintaining a supernatural love for something that is diametrically opposite of what we face naturally, you know, life. So God doesn't answer your prayer, that's life. So the kids get sick, that's life. So the stock market goes down like it's been flip-flopping around lately and you use, lose a couple thousand dollars. Or a while back, several people lost a whole lot more than a couple thousand dollars. Well, one of your children three or four years of age, die. You think, that's life. Now, God, I, I maintain my passion. I, I face a horrific divorce that leaves me with no financial security in my future. Do you still maintain that 
passion when you face life. So here we go. We're going to show you what happened in this story, and you will recognize it without a doubt of a major player. His name was Moses, a major player of how he managed life and what it cost him when he was caught, not prepared for the test that God laid in his lap. And after 40 years in the wilderness, we know that the Israelites are getting near the promised land. How many of you think you found so far the promised land? May I see your hand? How many of you are still searching for the promised land? Amen. Promised land. They wandered around the same area over and over and over and over again. If you want to know what that's like, go over to Lake Collinsworth. They have a roundabout over there and just spend 40 years driving around that roundabout again and again, or just driving around Lake Collinsworth again and again and again. Seemed like we were just here a year and a half ago at this same spot. Yeah, you were. You just wandered around. You don't have sense enough to figure out why you're wandering around. And that's why some people's life is up, down, up, down, up, down. They can't figure out why they're wandering. They have no purpose in their life. Those who left Egypt initially, that tens of thousands who left Egypt initially never made it to the promised land, including Aaron. He's pretty significant. Including Miriam. She was pretty significant. And including Moses. I'm here to tell you he was significant. The total of men, women, and children that were going to pursue the promise was over 601,000 headed in now, new crop coming in, 601,000. Add the women and a minimal number of children, and you've got 1.6 million people now that's wandering around, and they're about, now's time, we're ready to take on Jericho. That's how many people out there is about ready to go in. Not one of the original group that left Egypt with one exception of one individual, but it wasn't Moses in that regard. Well, why did the people not make it? Why didn't they, when they heard the promise that Abraham gave and they saw, or Moses gave and they saw the miracles, why didn't they make it? Here's number one, disobedience. Say that word, disobedience. How many of you by a raised hand are just naturally disobedient? How many of you are naturally obedient? Okay, we have a real problem here. <laughs> because you are naturally obedient or you're naturally disobedient. I think some of you are wandering around trying to figure it out. I think most of us who would be professing believers would like to say, I, I, I want to be obedient. Don't you think? I want to be obedient, but here sometimes it's a challenge. We're not obedient all of the time. Here we go, Numbers 20, verse 11. Then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff, and water gushed out in the community, and their livestock drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, here it is, because you did not trust in me enough, you didn't trust me enough 
to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I gave them. Moses came a long way. He's 120 years of age. How much should be expected out of you at 120? Amen? At 120, leading 1.6 million people, 120 years of age. Wouldn't you think that God would say, I want to cut him a little slack? You know, cut him a little bit of slack. But you see, the authority of God rested on Moses. He had faced many challenges. He had a lot of scars, battles, supernatural events that had taken place. And now we find the children of Israel are at a place they need water again. And the first time they needed it, God asked Moses to strike the rock, and it would come forth in Exodus 17. Moses did that. Water came forth from the rock. And Moses said, my, 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 look at that. I think I like this stick in my hand. 38 years later. How many of you can remember how old you were 38 years ago? Amen? I know, I was 30. (laughs) 38 years ago. Now let me ask you, do you think Moses should have matured a little bit in 38 years? Do you think he learned not to put his hand in the cookie jar? Don't you think that when God spoke after so many miracles that he had witnessed and and God actually did through him, don't you think he would be secure in the fact you got to do it God's way to the T? Why? Because the one authority, the Old Testament leadership, the one authority of God was in Moses. God spoke through Moses. Moses said it, it represented the credentials of God. Here's what I want you to do speak to the rock. Moses spoke, and nothing happened. Sir, It's kind of like telling your wife what to do. Don't expect any results. Or it'll take a little time, a long time. Moses spoke, nothing happened. What do you think God was up to? What do you think it would feel like if God said, okay, well, I'm going to tell you what to do, and you did it, you got immediate results? How cocky would you be? How cocky would you be? <laughs> how, how just, how much pride would you have? You said it, I spoke, bam, there it is. It's God still in Moses' life, still patient building, still working with him, still molding him, even after all these years. And that disobedient act indicated to God that Moses was not totally dedicated yet 
to God so that the balance of his plan could be complete because disobedience is an act of rebellion. God still had a lot of leadership that needed to take place, and he needed Moses to be poised to be the kind of person that's in God's hand, functioning acutely to God's voice and doing exactly what God said do at exact time when God said do it. Okay, Moses, it's in your hands. You ask yourself this question. And here they are, just a little thought-provoking. Do I willingly obey God's Word? Number two, do I comply with authority? Do I often rebel? Is there any area that I've not given up to God? Can I wholeheartedly say, Lord, thy will be done? And is my life spirit-led? Okay, just a few thoughts. I dare say to you and share God's Word with you that God still has a ton of work specifically by His divine will for you to assume. And that you will need to learn to do it in God's timing, at God's nod, and not try to take His place intellectually, but let Him be God because He knows exactly what He wants to do and when He wants to do it. Amen? Number two, a lack of faith. A lack of faith. Numbers 14, 11, the Lord said to Moses, how long will these people treat me with contempt? And how long will they refuse to believe in me? Now, I'm telling you, for all these years they've been spinning around out there, 1.6 million now. These are the ones that intends to go in. He said, they refuse to believe in me in spite of all the miraculous signs I have performed among them. Moses had declared his faith over and over again, miracle after miracle given to the Israelites, yet they could not grasp this absolute faith factor. That old song we used to sing, some of you still living by faith. How many remember that? Hymnal, living by faith. Just a great, great, great song that has a lot of meaning, and that's who we are every day living by faith. Living by faith. We live on the edge of saying, God, next step. Oh, the next step, you're not going to understand. The next step, you can't see where your foot's going to land, but you just take that step of faith. Do you know what kind of life it takes to be that kind of follower of Jesus Christ? Do you know that culture tells you don't take a step of faith till you know where your foot is going to land? Don't take a step of faith because you might step in a hole. No, God says take a step of faith. Do you know what kind of life it takes to form that kind of trust in God? To be that faithful. And yet this is what God is saying to us. It's what he said to the church at Ephesus. Hey, something has happened because there was a time in your first love, if I said take a step, you took a step. 
If there was a time that I said, let's just stay right here, you you stayed right there in your first love, whatever God said, I'm going to be there. I'm on it. I am flat-footed moving forward by the grace of God. And he said, life gets in your way. Let me give you an illustration, he says. Moses, step forward. What you once relied on 38 years before is not what you're supposed to be relying on 38 years later. Well, I depended on him. I depended on her. I depended on it. I depended on the church. God said, no, I want you to learn to depend on one source. That's me. Just one. And if I take those things you have depended on, nothing wrong. If I move them out of your life, do you still have the same trust in me? So when God gave them the opportunity to claim his promise and to rise to another level of responsibility by this challenge and experience a blessing instead of pain and to walk by faith instead of sight and be rulers instead of slaves, they grumbled about it. They grumbled about it. Numbers 14, 2 through 4, all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron And the entire community was in on it. They were on it. This is the first batches they moved. Why didn't we die in in Egypt or in this wilderness? Why has God brought us to this country to kill us? Our wives and children are about to become plunder. Why don't we just head back to what's comfortable? It's the devil we know. I'd rather face the devil I know than the devil I don't know. They chose not to exercise their faith for several reasons. One, because they chose the convenient. What I know, what I trust, what I see, what has paid off for me in the past, that's what I trust. You know what God's trying to do for all of us? Getting us away from what is convenient and comfortable and getting us into the arena to where we know that the only way we're going to get our next breath is because Jehovah breathes into our lungs for us. They chose the familiar. I chose the familiar. They let fear dominate. What if? That's always fear. What if? If every time you face a troubling situation, you try to figure out the negative, your faith is weak. You live in fear. You cannot fill the gaps up with your negative intention. You have to claim by faith that really doesn't matter. We're going to stand on this. They exercise a strong unbelief, a strong unbelief. They simply did not trust God, even though they had been provided for over for daily provisions for the future and protection. Their faith was in their comfort zone and in their hands. And here's how God responds to them. The message version, just then the bright glory of God appeared at the tent of meeting Every Israelite saw it. Moses is there. God said to Moses, How long will these people treat me like dirt? 
How long will they refuse to trust me? And with all these signs I've done among them, I've had enough. I'm going to hit them with a plague and kill them, but I'll make you into a nation bigger, stronger than they ever were. How do these people continue to live in contempt, not believing, facing miracle after miracle after miracle? So where is it at for the church today? Where is it at with so many, many people that are skipping along inconsistency even in their faithfulness to church attendance? How is it that so many people, their checkbook looks like the culture in which we live? How is it that so many lifestyles emulate the sinful culture that we live in instead of those that stand out and say, no, I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a light in the midst of the darkness. And therein, we find that Jesus, through John the Revelator, looks at it and says, I'll tell you why, you've let life rob you very subtly of your first love passion. You can't point your finger at these people. You can't do it. The church can't point its finger at these people. The church today, very strongly stated, wants more and more and more for less and less and less. Numbers 14, 20. God said, I forgive them, honoring your words, but as I live and as the glory of God fills the whole earth, not a single person of those who saw my glory saw the miracle signs I did in Egypt and the wilderness and who have tested me over and over and over again, turning a deaf ear to me. Not one of them will set eyes on the land I so solemnly promised to their ancestors. And no one who has treated me with such repeated contempt will see it. So you ask yourself this little question Do I exercise faith on a daily basis? Do I exercise it in a zone that's not comfortable? Am I able to freely exercise it in the arena of the unfamiliar? Am I able to stand and claim it in a state where there's trouble everywhere? And when God does intervene, what extra special do I do to let Him know that he gets more than my average praise because he's just did something supernaturally for me. Or you just overlook it. And so culture says, wow, unbelievable. Do I live that faithful life in witness and study and giving and if so, if not, so how do, we, how do we cleanse 
our hearts, and we know that they were forgiven, all right? He says in the Word that this group that did not make it were forgiven. All right, it's wonderful, but here's what happened. They did not receive the blessing. I forgive you, but no favor. I love you, but you take the family car and you go out and run it 110 miles an hour, and every time you bring it back, it's scratched up and dented up. I forgive you, but you're not getting the family car anymore. No more. So what should God do with us? He's given us everything under the sun. I was reading over this message and praying over it and washing my hands and looking in the mirror, and I thought, wow, how blessed am I? Unbelievably blessed, and sometimes overlook it and forget it. Finally, compromise. This is the last one, compromise. Exodus 32, 21, he said to Aaron, what did these people do to you that you led them into such great sin? I like to watch Andy Griffin. How many ever watched that? I do. It, this sounds like Andy talking to Barney. Barney, what in the world did you do to let these people drift into this kind of rebellious act? Moses had ascended to Sinai to hear from God. He was to receive the law. We know as the Ten Commandments. When he was gone longer than anticipated, we wonder why for this very reason. When God doesn't answer, doesn't come back, when the plan of God doesn't happen, can you still keep the plan going and stay on track? They declared that Moses was dead and asked Aaron to lead them, and they wanted to worship, so they said. You cannot bargain with God. They wanted to worship, so Aaron, you're not, you don't have to be second fiddle anymore. You be first chair. You're the first chair in the trumpet section. He bowed down to the pressure, compromised his faith, was led by the circumstances and bowed to the easy and convenient because it's a lot easier just to give up than it is to fight. A lot easier just to give up to avoid a confrontation. A lot easier just to give up than it is to stand there on principle in fight, he simply did not stand his ground and declare the truth. And at that point, he was the designated person, designated by Moses, by God. And he says he led them into idol worship. Idol worship in that day, say, idol worship is not forsaking God. It's just bringing another God alongside Jehovah. And so look at culture today. Look at the culture we live in. The compromise is everywhere. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. We must look, well, do we, do we put anything before the Lord? Well, look at it. Do we put possessions or family or some relationship or some dream before God? Is there something that we have that when it surfaces, we compromise every single time? 
Are we the rough and tough, loving, compassionate people that say, simply put, hey, I know where I'm supposed to be, when I'm supposed to be, and how I'm supposed to be, and God, you can count on me. I'm there. I'm in my place where I work. I'm telling people, my neighbors understand and know I'm always looking for that opportunity to get there and be led by the Holy Spirit. Is there something that we have that God says, hey, shove that aside? Revelation 2, 2 through 4. So here's where we started. So we're going to end up in the church at Ephesus. I know your deeds. Okay, got it. Your hard work and your perseverance. Thank you, Jesus. Hard work and my patience and perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men. You know, God, I hate them. And that you have been tested, or that you have tested those who claim to be apostles and are not. That's right, the spirit of discernment. I know you're nothing but a hypocrite. I got them. I got them, God. Wow. And you found them false. And you have persevered and have endured hardships out there in that wilderness for my name. And you, you haven't grown weary. You're still in the game. But this is what I have against you. You don't have the passion like you used to have. You, you've forsaken your first love. I knew in your profile that all I had to do was call you up and you'd say, I'm on it. You're not that way anymore. I knew there was a time that I just whispered in your ear. You'd say, yes, sir. I knew if I burdened you in the middle of the night to pray for somebody, you'd just bail right out and get at the edge of that bed and just go to praying. You never asked me why. You just did it. I knew that early on you were concerned about your neighbors and your family members and you prayed and prayed and prayed. But along the way, you just have, you just have backed away from that. You could go on and on and on and on. And what he says to that church at Ephesus I want you to go back. I want you to go back to the place where you lost that. I want you to repent. That's full admission. And I want you to pick up now and move on. Does that make sense to you? How many has ever lost car keys or anything? You know what you do when you lose anything? You begin to trace back where when you thought you last had them. Y'all with me? Yeah. I have one key here. Only let me have one. It's the only one they trust me with. 
when I lose it, it's one of two places. It's either in my chair in the office, slid out of my pocket, or I went through a door so fast and didn't pull the key out before I went in and left it in the door. And staff around here know, uh, hey, Pastor, <laughs> this your key. <laughs> yeah, where'd you find it? Door on outside of your office there. <laughs> it's mine. Don't tell anybody. I'll tell them when I get ready. I just did. How many understand the thrust of this message? Are you prepared to say, God, I want to be on fire. I, I want to expect the impossible. I want to believe the unusual. Heavenly Father, I thank you with everything that's within me for what your word said. In all those years of wandering in the wilderness, Moses, after 38 years, now at 120 years of age, you still expected him to be full of vibrancy. You still expected him to be more faithful at this time than he was to begin with. You fully expected him to be responsible for more and more miracles that came out of your direction, out of your heart. And so, Lord, we ask you to forgive us, guide us. We ask you right now in the precious name of Jesus, we have the ability to easily discern if we've slipped into some murmuring or grumbling mode, we have slipped into some area that we feel like we're not as responsible as we used to be. We've slipped into some arena to where it's just easy to be convenient instead of saying, God, there is no day like today to really bear down and do what we've been called to do. Let it be so. And I'm going to ask everybody online watching as we Stream online and those here to repeat this prayer. Would you do that? Dear Jesus, forgive me. I am sorry. I need forgiveness. Forgiveness of my sins. And I believe by faith you will restore me. My heart's desire is to be passionate about my relationship with you. I want to thank you, God for all that you've done, I'm going to show you how valuable you are in my life. Lead and guide and direct my path. I will follow no matter what the cost or what the demand is. Here is my life. Use it as you choose. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you stand, everybody? We're going to go to prayer now. We have the cards that are here. I'm asking you, I'm asking you to believe God over these cards. I got a phone call right before coming in here from an individual that we don't know. She's close and she said, are you the pastor? Yes. I need help. I have cancer. And I don't know what to do, but I know to go to church. So I communicated with Tim, and through this service, they've been working. 
and assisting her, giving her hope. Do you know how many people like that there are out there who run out? And you, you might say, well, she, she got where she is because she probably avoided church. You know what? God did not call us to, to have the resolution to the problem. He just caused us to facilitate the solution. Amen? Facilitate the solution. So would you be a facilitator of solution to some of these cards? And let's take about 10 minutes or so, and let's just find a place to pray, and let's just let God lead us. Would you do that? And then we'll, we'll give you the benediction in a few minutes.